Tell Me More podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. This episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners, including discussions around anxiety and self-harm. Please take care when listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with any of the topics discussed, please reach out to Lifeline 13 11 14. There are other resources for support in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Tell Me More. Today we have a truly inspiring guest who's made waves in the world of professional tennis and beyond. She reached a career high ranking of world number four in 2002 and was a Grand Slam finalist. However, behind her exceptional achievements, she battled with depression, anxiety and domestic violence. From overcoming personal challenges to reaching the pinnacle of tennis success, our guest today has a story that will leave you both amazed and inspired. Our guest is none other than the amazing Yelena Dokic. Yelena has openly discussed her struggles with mental health, shedding light on the importance of being vulnerable, reducing shame and breaking stigma. Through her experiences, she has become an advocate for mental health awareness, inspiring others to seek help and prioritise their mental well-being. She is a best-selling author, commentator, speaker, and a survivor, and someone that I really admire. My name is Olivia Molly Rogers, and I'm excited to get comfortable in the uncomfortable with you and remind you that nobody is perfect and everybody has something going on behind the scenes that you may not know about. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Yelena, I have recently finished your new book, Fearless, and I absolutely loved it and I could talk about it for hours. (laughs) It was incredible and I'm just in awe of everything that you have been through and how you have managed to get through on the other side and just you are thriving, which is amazing to see. I would love if you can take me back and tell me a little bit about your childhood Mm. and how you first got into tennis. Yeah. Oh, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot uh, to talk about in my childhood and and to kind of get to where I am today, where I can say uh, that I am thriving. I like to say that I've gone from victim to survivor to thriver uh, where I am now. But it's, yeah, look, it's taken, uh, it's taken uh, a lot of years and it's been quite a journey because Mm. of a lot of the things that I went through. But I was born in former Yugoslavia, the region that's now Croatia. And uh, look, we didn't have very much growing up, but I still had a you know, I've got good memories with kind of my parents up until the age of kind of <clears throat> six. And then, uh, yeah, and then I started playing tennis at the age of six. Uh, my father thought it was uh, a good sport for me and for girls. I was quite energetic and quite competitive as a kid. And I think he saw that as an outlet. And yeah, I, I started playing tennis at the age of six. But I really had like this really big passion and love for the game as soon as I started. Like I loved hitting tennis balls. I loved being out there running around. And I loved the fact that it was like such an individual and competitive sport because I liked relying on myself. I was always kind of like that. But side by side with that, straight away came abuse from my father, uh, especially physical abuse. And yeah, it kind of got worse and worse from there. And uh, unfortunately, I found, I kind of really feel like the sport and the passion um, that I had early on, which is you don't get to do that 
you know, too often at such a young age mm-hmm. and that you love something so much. But it was hard for me at the same time to go on the court every day and to practice and to do something that I love and, and even to go out there and compete in tournaments, which I loved, but it came with so much pressure mm-hmm. because if I didn't train well and if I didn't win, a, uh, there would be a lot of abuse and very early on, you know, I was um, constantly hit and, and slapped and, and my hair and my ears were pulled. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as you know I loved tennis it came with a lot and it continued from there Uh, but I was also going through a lot personally and as a family we were refugees twice and the war erupted in former Yugoslavia when I was just eight years old I saw my first dead body when I was eight my brother was only three months old when we had to leave our home and we thought we would be back and that things would settle down but they never did and we never went back and we literally escaped with two plastic bags went to neighboring Serbia, lived in really tough conditions there, uh, in poverty. We we had no food to eat most days and we would be waiting at 4 a.m. at Red Cross to get some necessities and had no heating in winter, no water. My brother was very young. So it was really, really tough conditions from there. But I continued to play tennis and I was really good um, straight away and, and even winning national championships. But a time came to move on and, and things got even worse. So at 11, we came to Australia, mm-hmm. which I'm really grateful for to, to this day because if we didn't have that opportunity uh, to come to Australia, I would not be able to be the tennis player that, that I was, but also to have that new opportunity in life. And even though things were tough when we first came here, I didn't speak a word of English. We slept on the floor for weeks when we came and uh, it took time to adjust. I was bullied at school and in the tennis community, which was really hard. But uh, yeah, look, it was a new opportunity and, and a new life that I really uh, took with both hands. I'm really grateful that Australia became my home and I loved representing Australia straight away when I got here as a kid as well. And yeah, it kind of went from there. My results, uh, yeah, I had great results as a, as a kid in Australia as well. But yeah, I was going through obviously a lot behind the scenes and behind closed doors and my father was getting worse and unraveling. He was also an alcoholic, which was really hard as well. But the abuse just got worse uh, from being, you know, going from being hit and, and slapped and so on to actually now being beaten constantly and almost every day and uh with the leather belt to the point of me bleeding and one of my worst beatings I ended up being unconscious as well from how hard I was kicked and punched in the head so yeah it came with an enormous amount of abuse and that's something that I had to navigate as a kid straight away on top of a lot of other adversities in life and uh, yeah I guess that's a little part of my childhood right there. I'm so sorry that, that <laughs> that's okay all good yeah. I am just fascinated and in complete awe of the fact that you managed to have such an amazing career while all of that was happening and you hadn't told anyone yet. It Mm -hmm. was, you know, you were keeping it to yourself. How did you manage to find the strength and the motivation to show up and play like you did when that was going on? Yeah, look, I I think it's a a big strength of mine uh, to – be strong and to believe in myself or something better and to continue to fight and not give up. And I've done that as a kid. I do it today as well. And I've done it in the meantime when I've had really, really uh, tough circumstances. And uh, for, for me, I escaped home when I was 19 uh, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a, of a tournament. And uh, 
I really, not just that I felt like enough was enough and I, I didn't want to and couldn't take that abuse anymore. I really felt like always, oh, look, I deserve better than this uh, because I was number four in the world and a Grand Slam semi-finalist uh, and it wasn't enough. And in fact, things were getting worse. And yeah. also now my reputation was impacted uh, very publicly as well because my father's outbursts were kind of public, but still people didn't know what was going on behind closed doors. But it was affected with, you know, the tennis community, my fans, the media, and all of a sudden everyone looked at me through my father's actions, which was really hard for me. I would even say, to be honest, harder than the abuse, which you might find, wow. yeah, really shocking. But it was because I just all, – all I wanted to do was play tennis and yeah. go out there and do my best. And I really always appreciated and was so grateful for, for – tennis fans and my supporters uh, which were just always amazing so that really affected me and uh, I left home and it wasn't easy though it came with consequences and uh, all the trauma that I went through and all the abuse I didn't know it at the time but I was already battling anxiety depression and PTSD and by the time I was 22 in 2005 I almost took my own life that year so that is also a big part of my story is that sometimes obviously we can't uh, control what happens in life especially at a younger age and yeah. especially I think women and girls because we're so vulnerable in these situations as well and in very individual sports and when it comes to abuse and you sometimes can't get away from that trauma but it's from there what can you do and how you can deal with it and it took me a while to find that especially we're going back about 15 20 years mm. where things were very different to today when it comes to getting help and talking about these things yeah. because if it were 20 years ago you and I wouldn't be having this conversation because there was so much shame and stigma mm. associated with talking about everything we're talking about now so that was basically my mission I wanted to make that my, 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 my mission to talk about that but you know, you talk about strength and you talk about courage and that's the way I've always dealt with it. So for me, no matter how much fear I had, whether that was from my father or sometimes, of course, we have, get nervous and have fear on the court if you're going to kind of win and what's going to happen, I've always dealt with it with courage. I always went after it and didn't hesitate and I was always like, okay, let's let's give it a go, let's go for it and see what happens. And I think that's a big strength of mine of being in the worst moments and when you're the most scared, I kind of feel like I have the most courage uh, in That's those amazing. situations. Yeah, That's very impressive. Thanks. Now, you talk about having a passion for tennis early on and that you did love the game. Yep. Did that continue all the way through or were there times where you felt like you had to do it? No, I, I always loved tennis. Uh, was it really hard in some of those moments when I was going through a lot absolutely and especially with my mental health struggles you're not always uh, you're not capable of going out there and competing and, and giving it your 100% because you're not uh, you know when you're not 100% and when you're not doing well mentally and you've got anxiety and you've got depression it's very hard to do that mm -hmm. but I've always loved tennis always will uh, I, I love it to this day, even though I don't compete anymore. That's why I love commentating in TV. And I think that really comes through in a lot of my work yeah. with tennis and even other, you know, if I talk about sport in general. Uh, yeah, so I'm really lucky, I have to say, because I think along the way I could have really started 
to not like tennis or even hate it because it came with so much. But I've always said uh, it's not tennis and the sport to blame for a lot of the obviously things that I went through. It has nothing to do with actual tennis. I actually think tennis is an amazing sport and a great sport for girls as well and and boys also. And uh, you can learn so much. And tennis has still given me amazing opportunities that I otherwise would not have had. So, yeah, I'm actually really glad that that stayed that way uh, because even through the toughest times even when I retired from tennis at 29 which was really really young Mm. for an elite athlete uh, because of injuries and my my mental health struggles I was still able to do something in tennis or with tennis and I, I a lot of the time that's kind of I have to say kept me going yeah giving you a sense of purpose yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. You spoke in your book about your diagnosis of Mm -hmm. borderline personality disorder. Yep. I wanted to ask you about that because I feel like it's not spoken about much Mm -hmm. and it's quite misunderstood. Yes. Can you talk to me about that and how Mm -hmm. it presents for you? Yeah, absolutely. And in Unbreakable, I was obviously very honest with uh, what I went through up until then and what I knew, which was anxiety, depression and PTSD. And Unbreakable changed so much because I went into – it's actually exactly now six years since uh, Unbreakable's come out. Wow. And uh, it's changed so much because even going into Unbreakable, I still didn't know the things that I knew once it came out. And I started to learn about a lot of things and really still get help when it comes to my, my mental health, which was really important, and to know what I have and then – you know, how to deal with that, what the tools are. Um, I think I, I, I'm a big believer in being really honest and vulnerable, um, whether with your friends or your family or whoever your close people are, closest people are, in then being actually able to go, okay, I'm being really open and honest here. A lot of this weight is lifted off your shoulders. You're not carrying it alone anymore. And I've, from there, I feel like you can really then reach out for help and see what you need to do to yeah. actually uh, be a you know uh, your best self. And for me, with borderline um, personality disorder, it was something again that I didn't know. And after Unbreakable, I started to really get more professional help, uh, which has made a massive difference. And uh, I know sometimes it might not be for everyone, but I talk about that in Fearless. That for me, like it saved my life. It was crucial, and finding out that I had uh, BPD was actually really important as well. And I was at first shocked myself. Well, I have traits. I don't, you know, fully have um, borderline personality disorder, but I've definitely got traits. And for me, it was a shock at first, but then it was also, I actually didn't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. I was like you, uh, like I I, I was very, even I, who knows a lot about mental health, I was – surprised that I actually didn't fully know what it was uh, that there's a lot of misconceptions about it as well I was never kind of maybe for about I say fearless maybe for about an hour I was shocked and maybe even a little bit ashamed about it mm. uh, because I didn't know what it was about uh, but then I was like okay I, I will talk about this because it's not talked about a lot and the numbers are out there that there are people going through um 
BPD as well, just as much as, you know, anxiety and depression and PTSD. And uh, for me, yeah, I've always known I have some, you know, I'm, I'm quite sensitive to other people and quite empathetic and, and, and it really affects me to the point where I sometimes think about it all day or for a couple of days if I see really hard or someone's struggling and that's, you know, some of the things that I kind of feel. And yeah, I think more more importantly for me, it was again important to talk about because it might resonate with someone. Mm. That's what I'm about. Uh, I said with Unbreakable, I, I actually didn't do it for any other reason to tell my story except I thought it might help someone. I even say that at the end of Unbreakable, if it helps one person, it's for me mission accomplished. And obviously it's changed everything. It's changed my life. I say the day that Unbreakable came out was the day, best day of my life. And there's a reason for that because I found my voice yeah. and I was finally free. And Fearless is now that next step in the journey and going beyond the trauma. It's going from victim to survivor to thriver. It's about the persistence and the resilience it takes to continue healing. But ultimately, it's I want it to be a book of hope and that you're not defined by your past mm. and that you don't have to be defeated by your past or mental health goes with that. And if you do have a mental health illness and, and if you're struggling with it, it doesn't define who you are. I really think that there's so much freedom in being honest and vulnerable and going, okay, I'm going to get help or, you know, I'm going to get my diagnosis and you feel so much better you feel free to go oh my god this actually now makes sense and then you can actually get so many amazing tools that can help you and you can be the best version of yourself and go forward and actually heal and be happier so that's why i think it's important there's so much shame and stigma yeah. associated with not just mental health but a lot of those kind of things that we're not used to talking about like child abuse and domestic violence but a lot of people have been suffering in silence because of that. And that's what I want to do. I want to try and help and remove that shame and stigma around the really important topics, mental health being a massive one and normalize that conversation because people are suffering in silence and they have for a very long time. And I know I did it for yeah. a very long time and it almost cost me my life. And unfortunately for many, it, it actually did. And the numbers are horrific when it comes to, uh, suicide not just in Australia but in the world so that's why it's so important to put it out there and be open about it so important you actually I'd save this quote because I loved it so much you said if we can be open about our pain and experiences maybe we have a chance to create a world with less pain more love support and understanding mm. ultimately a better world and that resonated yeah. with me so much and I couldn't agree more mm. you also mentioned toxic secrecy which is something I hadn't really heard before can you talk about that yeah for me it's well it's kind of connected obviously with the shame and stigma uh, of a lot of the things that I feel like we are getting so much better at today uh, talking about it even though we still I feel like always have a long way to go and uh, I feel like Grace Tame and, and, and her story and her advocacy advocacy changed the law uh, you've got Simone Biles and the US gymnastics team and what they've uncovered, the incredible amount of abuse over so many years. Uh, I even say, you know, Turia Pitt, she's been incredible in, in her journey of not just recovery, but the way that she goes about it and mm. is very open and honest. And she's talked about a lot about uh, uh, this kind of uh, sense of, you know, that things are all sunshine and rainbows and perfect. 
uh, in life, mm. but they're not. And I couldn't agree with that more, uh, not just because of my own experience, but even on social media, uh, media in general. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't grow up with social media, but it was a lot of, obviously, media in general, uh, just society as well, but I think sport as well. So silence uh, is golden and this idea of perfection as well and secrecy actually mm. around those really kind of tough topics because if you talked about it you were considered weak yeah and like we said earlier shamed and stigmatized and that is why I went into unbreakable and fearless and and to to kind of shatter that myth of perfection and also that vulnerability is a weakness and in tennis and in society you were always kind of had to be let's say a certain size whatever that means or you know um uh, this like kind of perfect picture of a perfect person or a perfect life or a perfect athlete and it doesn't exist mm. perfection's not actually attainable and uh i, I always ask myself my question who decides this mm. the media social media society what is perfect it doesn't exist we're all different and we're all amazing and that was for me oh my god this is just not okay this is not like real and and you would say oh she looks great at a size zero or a size two or a size four but if you're size 18 you're not and I was like this isn't right Mm. it's not the right values and that for me is a really big one because also in sport we look at sports people and athletes it uh, doesn't matter if it's tennis or any other sport as these amazing human beings being so fit, being so amazing, um, you know, out there going, you know, dealing with pressure and expectation, but you had to almost be perfect. Mm. And we look at them almost like they're not human. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think people forget that we are human beings and we have feelings and we still go through a lot. And it was putting so much pressure and it still is on athletes by sponsors and media and social media and if you said anything that wasn't let's say perfect and on the script you were considered uh, straight away you were shamed and stigmatized but you were also considered like you had a weakness mm. and you were giving away this edge to your opponents but also you weren't perfect for the sponsors and the media so I felt that through sport. I know a lot of others did but with society as well so I wanted to talk about vulnerability and in fact, that it's it takes so much strength and courage and guts to be vulnerable. It's not a weakness. I can tell you that some of the strongest people I know uh, have done that. I've had to do it myself and wanted to do it myself. And I can tell you, it takes a lot of courage to do it because you have so much fear, whether it's because of your family or whether it's because of your friends or society or the, the sport that you're in. How is that going to be received? I had that with Unbreakable uh, and writing it as well. And that's what I want to kind of shatter the, the myth of perfection and that vulnerability is is a weakness. I think it's really important for the younger generation as well because if they feel like they can't open up even to their friends or family and that you have to kind of have this picture-perfect life which actually doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. We all go through something mm-hmm. and just a circle of life in general is you're going to go through losses and difficult moments it's something that happens to all of us i think it's important to talk about that definitely yeah this episode is dedicated to australian childhood foundation a not-for-profit that i am proud to be an ambassador for the foundation exists to help children and young people heal from the trauma of abuse family violence and neglect 
It's hard to hear, but there are over 530,000 reports of child abuse each year in Australia. Abuse affects children throughout their entire life, especially if they don't get the support that they need. Australian Childhood Foundation works to stop the cycle of abuse through specialist trauma counselling and programs. If you would like to support the foundation and the incredible work they do, visit childhood.org.au and make a donation. You said, you know, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been having this kind of conversation. Yeah. I think even maybe 10 years ago. Yes, I agree. Maybe even five. Mm -hmm. It has shifted. But I posted something recently on TikTok about um, talking about mental health. And it ended up in a very um, toxic kind of, I don't know how it ended up with the audience that it ended up with, but it was a lot of men and I think of a certain generation and they were saying, you know, a few cups of concrete need to be handed out, toughen up, Um, it's easy to be undepressed, things like this. Um, You talk about social media and how powerful it is and how amazing the community is and it's been so positive for you a lot of the time but it can be so negative and you can receive things like that can you talk about that yeah and don't worry I get those comments as Mm. well I think we all do unfortunately and that is why I think it's important to talk about things and the more we do it we will make a change and like you said even five years ago like what I'm talking about today and what we are talking about today would have been received differently. We've come a long way. I feel like five years ago we might have had the conversation, but it would have been very surface level. It would be like, yeah, yeah I have anxiety, but you don't go you don't go that deep with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. But also it would have maybe been received differently. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, we're talking about that now. Well, now we are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And even though we're still gonna get comments like you got and I get them as well, uh, of people not understanding. But we need to continue because there's also a lot of cultural and generational issues that we need to change kind of from the roots. And that's why I said it's so important for the younger generation, the way that we raise them, especially boys and then also with women as well to know what's right and what's wrong. But I think navigating social media is never going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I say in my in my new book, I really wanted to – uh, do a big chapter on that in in very early on in the book, and I did both about media and social media and how we uh, how we cover those stories first of all in media because twenty years ago and fifteen years ago and even ten years ago I I talk about it in fearless and I have examples on the articles and the headlines that I was facing and uh, being pretty much almost in you know, peak shape going into Australian Open and and, and a journalist writing, well, uh, I better stay off the Christmas pudding this year. And just things like that, that we had to deal with and go through. But also uh, a lot of the things around my father where he was a punchline and a joke where two underage kids were going home with this person. Don't forget my brother was eight years younger than me and no one questioned. And no one was asking no, if you were okay. And it was all about that headline. Mm. It was all about, oh, he was a headline. We can always get something here. They were doing interviews with him when he was aggressive and drunk and no one stopped for a second to think and go or even write an article going, guys, this is clearly something's not right here should he even be on tour and things like that anyway so for me I wanted to make it also a big mission of mine to talk about uh, media and social media and after Unbreakable came out a lot of media or pretty much you know anyone that I know came out apologized even privately and I really appreciate that that's that's great and 
that's all I wanted. I wanted people to see, okay, these were the mistakes that were made. Let's make sure if something like, yes, if something like that happens again, that we don't do it. Mm. Social media, I think has both positives and negatives. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But I, I really think that if we just continue, I kind of say fighting the good fight, we can turn it into positive. Uh, I think, look, I use the block button. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes I at the same time answer because not to go, it's not about going head to head with them or, Mm. you know, um, giving it back to them. It's more trying to sometimes make them realize what their comments do. And I would sometimes just say, look, uh, if someone wrote that to you or your family or maybe your sister or your daughter, mm. would you feel the same way, you know, you f- you do now writing that to me? And you would be surprised how much people go, you know, I- I'm sorry, the you're right. Pedal. Yeah, mm. they do. And you know what, sometimes if they don't, that's all right. Like I kind of go, that's all right. That says a lot about them. I'll block them and mm-hmm. so on. But I feel like it's really – I do feel like it's important to to talk about that and to fight it. And a lot of people have said to me, because I've taken it on the last few years and especially this year about yeah. body shaming and trolling and making fun of mental health struggles, not just for me, but a lot of other people in, in kind of that public life and that have a public profile and even a lot of us commentators and, and hosts and, and people that are on TV. And I took it on and I said, look, I'm going to keep calling it out. I don't know whether I can make a change or a difference, but I'm not going to take it sitting down and just shoving it under the rug and turning our head to it and going, well, you know, kind of the solution from a few people was maybe you should just get off social media or, but even people saying it to me in a nice way, not in a, not in a bad way, you know, so going, look, it's maybe going to affect you long-term, maybe just get off social media or maybe just don't pay attention. But then you're just giving your voice away. Well, that's what I felt like. And I felt like, look, I found my voice. Mm -hmm. Why would I then, you know, now go back and go, well, no, I'm going to go off social media. Why should I go off social media? If it's something that I find happiness in, if it's something that I maybe find really creative, which I know a lot of people do and I do as well. But most importantly for me, I want to turn it into a community. I want to turn it into a positive space and send out some positive thoughts and messages every single week and maybe help someone. Why should I be going off that? I'm not hurting anyone. So I think sometimes the solution was, well, kind of don't deal with that and we'll just leave it but I was like no 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 we need to deal with this head on just like we do with mental health and people uh, that used to a lot more shame and stigmatize us when we would talk about it or domestic violence or child abuse I was like we need to do this as well so people have really been so supportive amazing whether you were a tennis fan or not because usually it would happen during the Australian Open because it's summer there's so much talk about it you're seeing pretty much the whole month, every single day. And I did it three years ago, two years ago, a year ago. And then this year, I really felt like I called it out again. I would show and post the messages I got, which were vile. Uh, And people were like, okay, enough is enough. People Mm -hmm. were standing up and listening and going, whether they were media or tennis fans or non-tennis fans, didn't matter. We're like, okay, enough is enough. People just need to stop being vile and not being kind on social media let people do their thing especially you know people that are just out there living their lives and and not hurting anyone like we need to stop this judgment in general whether it was 
based on your body size or anything else. We just need to stop Mm -hmm. and we need to stop sending these anonymous messages just to hurt people or to be mean or to take that time out of your day to go and hurt someone and write something nasty or mean. I was like, where has kind of our good hearts or the humanity gone to? It's so powerful. I think even if you're just stopping one person from sending a hateful message, if they've seen what you're talking about and then they're like, oh, actually – I'm going to hurt someone if I press that, yep. if I press send. I can think it, but I don't need to write it. No. But I think too, it's so complicated because you know that it's not happy people that are that are commenting these things yep. and that it's not coming from a good place. Yeah, look, uh, but I think, yeah, look, because you don't know those people and a lot of the time, obviously, it is private accounts, it's anonymous and you know you can think about ah oh, look they're probably maybe not happy themselves and so on it's still i still feel like it doesn't excuse oh no uh, definitely not going under to hurt someone because also you never know how someone might take it mm-hmm. it might be really hurtful it might really get them down you don't know what you know what they're going through and i think uh with your um messaging as well for you probably and i i have that sometimes tell me if i'm wrong you probably felt like in the moment look i really want to get this out it would be really freeing for me, but also probably can I help someone out there? Can we talk about this mm-hmm. and make it easier for everyone? And then you get, you know, you get slammed for it and people don't realize how hard that is. You open up, you're honest, you pour your heart and soul into it and and at the same time want to connect with others that are maybe mm-hmm. going through it and then you get all of this negativity. Yeah. And that needs to stop. Sometimes I think it obviously depends on how you're feeling in that moment on that day, what else is going on in your life. When you receive a hateful message or comment, sometimes you can brush it off. It's water off a duck's back. Like sometimes I can even laugh it off because I'm like, that is so obscure and ridiculous. Yeah. But there's other times where it really stings. And I, mm-hmm. I would like to say that it doesn't affect me, but it does. And I can imagine that it might be the same for you. Yes. When it does sting and it gets through how do you pull yourself out of that like what do you do to get past that moment yeah I had a few this year this straight up and that's why it prompted me and, and caused me to come out straight away it was the first or second day of this straight up and, and actually show those messages but a few other people were getting them as well and I saw how affected they were uh, and people that were my friends and that I'm close to that have never actually even received something like that. Do you mean they were getting it about you or they were getting no, about it about themselves? No, about them, about okay. themselves. And uh, I I got a, a couple of really, I, I mentioned them in Phyllis. I've been very open about it as well. And a few people even saying, oh, now that the Australian Open has started, um, is Elena going to try and take her own life again? Um, oh I'm putting it in a nice way, um, how they said it, with a laughing emoji um, or making fun of my size or someone else. There was someone else where they um, told them, you know, that they wish that they weren't alive and so on and so on. So it's really, really mean comments. And I read that and I was like, I don't care. But then at the same time, I was like, that is really, you know, it affects you mm-hmm. in that in that moment. So like I was actually, not for long, but I was actually sad. Mm-hmm. I was like, why would someone write that? And the first thing I thought of was I've, I think I'm pretty strong. I consider myself to be pretty strong and have pretty thick skin and just brush it off and, or block them. But I was thinking, you know what? I, I don't, I shouldn't have to be and others shouldn't either. And I said, look, I'm going to put this out there. What people actually write, because I couldn't even think of something like that 
to write, let alone send to someone. And yeah, it was in that moment, it was quite, you know, difficult. But then I go and and, and go, look, my self-worth, who I am, what I do is, you know, it's about what I think about myself mm-hmm. and what I know and the work that I put in every single day, whether it's my work ethic or to try and be kind and to try and be a good person. They don't know me and this is not I kind of like to say this is not a group thing. This is not a group decision. My self-worth and who I am and what it, it's all mine, right? So I like to say block the outside noise noise as much as, much as it might be hard. But I think it's important to know these people don't know you, hmm. right? And it's important to know that if someone can write something that mean and, and that vile, it, it you know, obviously – you, I kind of go, you can't even go into something with that person and have a conversation with how off that is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All you can literally do is go, look, this is just so ridiculous and insane and as, as nasty as it is, you just block it and you go, you know what, It's you're just not worth it because you know your self-worth, you know who you are. And I think it's very important to go to your circle. So even if you've got one, two, three friends, family, those are the people that you go to and the people that know you, the people that are there for you. And to know that these people that do leave these comments and messages, they don't even know you. Hmm. They've never even met you and they, they know nothing about you. I think that's really important to yeah. to know that you are not defined by their opinion and you're not what they say. And that's really important. I, I I maybe get like stung a little bit in that moment mm-hmm. just because I'm quite um, sensitive to things like well, that and being you're a sent. Human. Yeah. I don't think anybody is supposed to receive the amount like no no one was programmed no. to receive the amount of feedback yeah. that we can receive now. Yeah. With media and social media. Yeah. And how constant it is. Like it's just not normal to have that much feedback. No, no. And it's not, you know what the interesting thing is? Uh, To ask ourselves, and I ask myself this, do I get this in normal, in real life? Mm -hmm. I don't. And will that person come up to me and say that to me? No. No, because they're gutless as well. So you got to think of social media is kind of in a way not, you know, that real life and Mm. what's real standing behind the keyboard and writing something's very different Mm -hmm. and i said it this year um during the australian open as well uh why i was (laughs) uh, quite like frustrated with with it was if someone said that to you publicly or said the things to you while you were you know even playing in the middle of the rod laver arena or you were walking by, a lot of the stuff that they do and say to you, like they would actually be arrested. Mm. Do, you know, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I'm like, it's not like what goes on behind a keyboard. It's literally hiding behind a keyboard and writing it. And I try to go, look, as much as it's still words from a person, I don't take it for, like I don't let it have any meaning meaning like that do you know what i mean i almost go it's actually in a way it's not real it's not real life so your coping strategies then it sounds like involves a lot of self-talk positive absolutely and 
leaning on your friends as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think self-talk and uh, knowing your self-worth is so important and knowing that um, you are so worthy and you're so amazing and worthy of so many things and so many good things and no one decides if you are or not. I learned that a lot with, for example, with uh, going through domestic violence and child abuse because that's what it does when you're in an abusive relationship, whether with a partner or parent. Uh, that's the first thing that goes, your self-worth uh, because you're constantly being put down, you're constantly either abused, whether verbally, emotionally, physically. Uh, I was abused verbally really badly, especially already as a kid. And I talk about that in Unbreakable a lot. Some of the stuff so, um, sometimes even hard for me to repeat. What I was called and the names I was called already as an 11-year-old. as an eleven year old, And it really affects you, especially that young, because you don't know any better. And also a lot of the time we feel like it's our fault and that we are to blame. And that's what a message on social media does. You feel like it's your fault mm. and you feel like you are to blame and you feel like there's something wrong with you. So that's really important to not take that and really know your worth, mm. but it comes from you, not yeah. from others, not allowing anyone to put you down. And I always say, don't allow anyone to take who you are your happiness and your smile away. I always say that. Now, I didn't for a long time, but now I really believe that because it's, it was, it's never anybody's to take. Mm -hmm. It's all yours. I know it's easier said than done, but it's really important not to allow anyone to dictate who we are and how we feel. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Now, similarly, well, probably not similarly, you spoke in your book about almost taking your life mm -hmm. just last year. Yep. How did you pull yourself out of that? Like that must have taken so much strength. Mm -hmm. I'd love if you can talk me through that and how you've managed to stay strong and stay well since that time. Uh, for me, uh, getting professional help and being able to rely on that and knowing, okay, I've got someone to call here, not just – uh, friends or people, a couple of people around me that knew what was going on at the time, uh, but actually going, okay, I can, I'm okay with saying I'm not okay and having that vulnerability, whether it's with my psychiatrist or with my friends. And that really helped knowing that. First time around in 2005, which is when we talk about 20 years ago, we didn't even know that help was available, wasn't talked about. And if you were saying, oh, I see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you were considered to be um, crazy, mm. right? That's what we mm -hmm. people used to label you as. That's what I talk about, you know. So much judgment. Yeah, so yeah. much judgment and, and um, the kind of a lot of that kind of toxic secrecy and also being perfect and not being vulnerable and so on. And this time around, I, first of all, I felt like, to be honest with you, a little bit like I failed because I thought, oh, I went through that once. I didn't think it would happen again, even though, you know, it's always um, life is a battle. You just never know what's going to happen anywhere and what's around the corner and what kind of a position you might be in. But I first felt like, oh, my God, I failed here because I thought I would never be in this position again. And I was doing so much better. But then an almost 20 year relationship breakup uh, led me to this. I, I, I was in shock. I was shattered. 
I was alone for the first time in my life. We were together since we were 20, so that was really difficult. And also because there was no fights, uh, he's an amazing person. We just kind of grew apart. And that was really difficult when there's no massive issues mm. as well. And and I will always say it, he's incredible. He's been with me through everything and he still is an amazing person and really kind. And that was tough for me to, to navigate this change where I was doing so well professionally and I felt like I was doing so well, you know, even with, personally with my emotions and, and with my health. And then it just hits you and it really hit me uh, really hard. And I was in this really tough moment around my birthday or just after my 39th birthday. And I was like, oh my God, this is all hitting me at once because we were about to start a family as well. This is now not going to happen uh, probably, you know, ever for me. Uh, And yeah, it was just so many things going on uh, in my head and, and through my head. And uh, yeah, I got into that moment and I felt like I failed. I felt like I failed, you know, myself and uh, just in general, yeah, just felt like I went all the way back. I felt like to 2005, whereas I thought I, let's say, made all of these amazing steps to be where I am, where I was so happy. But uh, I think it's important to know, and this is where I kind of started, was I straight away said, look, I'm not okay. Uh, I can feel it. I know it, not just because of this moment when this happened at the end, um, at the end of April uh, last year, but okay, I need to reset here. This is a very different situation now. It's a shock when you've been with someone for almost 20 years. I need to go and deal with this. What do I do? You know, what do I, what do, I do from a mental health perspective, from getting help from professionals, uh, you know, even the people that were around me? What do I do with my work? do I stop? Do I continue? Because I love my work. Will that help me? So I went straight into the mode of, okay, what do I need to do? Uh, And I think that's what I'm good at now. It's okay. How can we change this? How can I turn this into a positive, even though I was in a really, really low moment. So for me, getting professionals around me really helped to know what I needed to do. I'm even very open about um, going and being on medication, which I think was for me, really helpful. Again, doesn't have to be for everyone, but uh, that was my, you know, way of dealing with it. And I'm very open about that. And again, I would not be here today right now and talking to you if I didn't do that. Mm. But being open about it and being vulnerable and that included publicly as well as on social media, again, really helped me because I felt like I wasn't hiding. Yeah, I still had a voice in that moment. It was okay to say I'm not okay. And it actually helped Uh, And I learned that. That's what, for me, Unbreakable and Finding My Voice did. I learned that it's really important to say how you feel and to be vulnerable, to have that uh, uh, supportive community and a safe space to do it. And I don't have people around me anymore that wouldn't be able to give me that. That's so important. So unless you have people that will give you that safe space and environment to do that, uh, yeah, I don't have that around me because it's so important. And I felt so much relief straight away when I talked about it with my psychiatrist, with my friends, even publicly, because I felt like, oh, my God, this is like this weight of my shoulders. And it's not just on no. you. No, and now I can go and we can – A shared problem. Exactly. Yeah. We can go and heal. And yeah. I have to say the amount of support that I got – even on social media, I don't look at it, it's funny, but I don't look at it as uh, being public, even though it is, but I feel like we're a community and people sending you 
private DMs and messages and um, going like, hang in there and I, I get you or, you know, I'm here for you. People were offering to that I have no idea who they are. Let's go for a coffee. Let's go for a walk. It's incredible what having a safe space and community publicly and privately can do. Like yeah. I, I'm such a big advocate for that and for sharing our stories because it saves lives. It's amazing. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in your book that you now, you know what your signs are when you're sort of falling into a darker place. Can you tell me about those? So for me, if I'm not able to get up and do the things that I love for me, and and the number one thing would be work. I have so much love and passion for what I do. I don't even call it work. From speaking to TV to everything that I do for me is a passion. And if I find that it's not anymore and I'm not enjoying it, that's a big sign for me. Uh, if I can't actually feel like getting actually you know, dressed up, even putting on like mascara and getting out there and having a coffee with my friends, for me, that's a big sign because mm-hmm. that's what I used to do. And I used to like close myself in, not just in my house, in one room and not get out. That's a big sign for me. Uh, and just watch, uh, often it comes with watching reruns of, uh, you know, Friends or, um, you know, Desperate Housewives and things like that, yeah. uh, where I go back and those were the things that I used to do when the first time round when I was going through a lot. And those are some of mine's, my signs. You mentioned that you, you know, you pull back, you don't respond to as many messages. Exactly. You, yeah. Exactly. And that's a big thing for me. And that's one of my really close friends, uh, Todd Woodbridge, who I talk about a lot in this book as well, because he's a, he's a mentor for me and uh, I would not be where I am today without his help professionally. But even privately, he was the first person I called actually after my breakup at 11 o'clock at night. And uh, he knows, and he said this to me actually before I even said it to anyone, he goes, I know how you get uh, when you don't respond to those messages and when you don't get back to me or to a phone call, I know something's up. Mm. And he he was so right and and obviously he knows me we've known each other for almost 15 years but that is the first thing I do I just it's this kind of almost coping mechanism where you go I can't yeah you know I I lock myself in and even though you know you read the messages and you're so appreciative and they mean a lot to you of the support or what you're getting from people checking in on you when you go oh I can't can't respond to that then Mm. you know something's wrong so I would love for you to tell me then how do we move past that? Like you notice that something's happening, there's a shift in your demeanor, there's a shift in mm-hmm. what you want to do, your motivation. How do you get through that and, you know, keep going? So for me, I think it's really important to, I like I like to go in and see what the problem is and almost brainstorm it. In the past, I wouldn't have done that. I would have just try and sweep it under under the rug and pretend it's not there but there's this big elephant in the room so today I really go in and go okay this is the reason why what can I do about it how can I make it easier on myself and it's also sometimes knowing look sometimes things can wait I don't need to do it today right even if there is maybe a deadline or something I can go look I'm actually not feeling all right it's actually better for me not to do it today or to even say no to something or even to cancel something if my well-being and my mental health will be affected by it and and I might not be able to give people 
you know, what they need yeah. anyway. But I think even just from little things, um, I've sometimes, you know, gets, well, that was part of it last year, uh, would get stuck in the house. And I think that that's the first thing that we do, a lot of us, when we go through a hard time, I feel like. And for me, the first thing is just get out of the house. Even if you just get downstairs for 10 minutes, get out. Get out of the house. You feel so much better. Like sometimes I've gone out, hair not brushed. I just I just didn't have that will to do it. But I was like, I'm going to put my pants and my shirt on, my shoes. That literally takes me 10 seconds. I can do that. And just get out of that house, lock the door and go down. And a lot of the times there's so many simple things. And I talk about it in Fearless when it comes to gratitude as well. Things I never thought I would do. Also things I thought were so small. Yeah. I was like, that's not going to make me feel better. But it does. Like... I take an extra hour for my coffee every single morning, even if I have a flight at 6 a.m. I wake up at 3 just to have that extra time to to myself and to really enjoy it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can really take my time there, do do what I want to do, think, you know, a few positive thoughts, write down a few positive things on some post-it notes and put it on the fridge or put it in my bag. Um, when I'm at the airport, I'll stumble across it. It's going to make me feel better. Uh, just those little things, uh, sunrise and sunset. Like I love that. And I always loved it, but I never truly enjoyed it when I had the opportunity mm. and to watch it with a coffee or with, doesn't matter, a drink in my hand, or I don't actually drink, drink, but something, you know, uh, or like, when you go to the beach, we go, oh, we love the beach. But I'm like, I actually love the feeling of sand and water on my feet and under my feet. I've never looked at that, that it's something that actually makes us feel good. Yeah. And it's so simple. And you might say, well, yeah, that's kind of a given. But think about how many times you actually stop in the moment to breathe and take it in. And I bet you a lot of the time you don't. Yeah. We just kind of, it's a given. One big thing as well. Well, it, it might, it's actually, when you think about it, it's not big, but it turns into a big thing. I never used to journal mm. or write anything down. And now I do even just a few sentences every single day. Like it doesn't have to be 10 pages, a few sentences on how I feel, uh, you know, Maybe I don't, I don't feel great today. Maybe I'm tired. doesn't matter. I just write it down. Or if it's positive, go, okay, you know what? I was tired. I still got through today. That was great. You know, I did a really good job at that event or, you know, my speaking engagement or something or commentary or maybe go, okay, I made a little mistake there. I, I you know, fumbled a few words, didn't feel great, but that's all right. I'll try and do better tomorrow. I always write something like that. And uh, it makes me feel so much better because you release a lot of that stuff that you're kind of inside yeah you let it out I have one last question for yeah. you what advice would you give to young Yelena oh I get this actually asked quite a bit uh, by, by people but I think that the yeah I think find your voice believe in it believe in yourself and your self-worth I think I've had that in parts of my life but I lost it for a while because I was so lost and I was so emotionally just beat down from everything and a lot of the abuse. So I, I lost that and lost myself. And just to believe in myself and trust in myself and my instinct and my capabilities and my worth and never allow anyone else to dictate that because I did. Yeah. for you know a while and I had the wrong people around me as well and I allowed them to, to not treat me 
right, you know. Um, and I think you learn that as an adult and to, to get rid of that, you know, toxicity. Uh, but like I said to you earlier, just never to allow anyone to take my happiness away. I love Because it's not theirs to, to take. That yeah. is so good. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. Thank you. I want to finish on a lighter note. Yeah. Um, I do a little thing called oranges and lemons. And I think you'll like this because you talk about gratitude and finding something small that's good in every day. Okay. So your orange is something positive that's happened today. Okay. So your your good thing, your something you're grateful for. And okay. then your lemon is something that's not so good. And it can be like very small. Okay. Um, so you can start with a lemon and finish with an orange or whatever way you want to go. Well, it's early today. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we only just started lemon for today. Uh, oh, I tried to find really positive things. I know in, in this is probably hard so for this you. This is probably yeah. This is very hard for me uh, to do that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I had a bit of a stomachache this morning. Okay, uh, I'll go with that. Um, and then my positive – oh, so many. I've had time for my coffee. It's a beautiful day outside and uh, this chat can't go past oh, this chat. So this is amazing. I think, uh, yeah, I, I feel like if we were just sitting and having a coffee and not recording anything, we would still have the same chat. I feel like we could be yeah. talking for five yeah. hours. I just looked so, at the time and I'm yeah. like, whoa, we've been going for a while. Yeah. So thank you so much. No, my, okay. I've, I'll share mine as well. Um, a lemon for me would be I've been trying to just get the tram more. Okay. Um, and I missed it this morning. So I was annoyed at myself because I missed it by <laughs> one minute. I saw it going past. I was like, no. Um, and my orange, I went for a run along the Yarra this morning and the sun was shining. Amazing. And Melbourne just looked gorgeous. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And definitely talking to you. I'm so grateful for oh, all of your time and all of your pleasure. wisdom and your vulnerability. Yep. Absolutely. Where can people find you? What do you mean? Online. Oh, phew. obviously they need to read your book, <laughs> uh, oh, which we have here. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Where can I, they find me? I was like, oh, I love. Along, I was like along the <laughs> right <era>. here. <laughs> we have uh, to go for a walk along there. I know. I this know. is the beautiful book. Yeah. Fearless. Thank obviously, you. there's also Unbreakable. Yes, there is. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Social media. Well, I'm on Instagram only. Uh. I've tried a few other ones, but. Yeah, I just want to focus on one mm-hmm. <laughs> and give my energy into that. So um, obviously on Instagram. And your handle is just your name? Yeah, um, Dokic um, Yelena is my handle. Uh, and yeah, I think that's about it. I think, uh, yeah, if people want to kind of connect, uh, like I said, for me, it's a lot more than just social media. I try and turn it into a community and where we can all kind of um, connect, uh, whether with posts or messages or, yeah, um, that's a big part of me and yeah my books I think uh, a lot of people uh, have come up to me and said oh I, I've only just meeting you now for the first time but I feel like I really know you I feel mm-hmm. like I know you know everything and I know you as a person and I really know your all of your like kind of feelings and thoughts and and the way that you kind yeah. of think well like I said before I started recording when I was reading your book I was also listening to the audiobook and you know having you in my ears the way that you talk the way that you write it is very much like just yeah. having a conversation with you, obviously a one-sided conversation, but I was like, I feel like we've been hanging out. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, that's what I, like, I love that. That's yeah. what I'm about. I, I want, uh, that's who I am as a person, really authentic and real and raw. What you see is what you get. 
especially people that have read Unbreakable will know that, but even Fearless. Uh, so yeah, um, that's if you kind of want to know a bit more about me, it's all there. And um, as well as Instagram. So what you see is what you get. And uh, yeah, even people on Instagram, they know I, I, I post you know, everything, a lot of even some people like would say, oh, it's not unflattering pics, but maybe just some very, very normal life. Nothing yeah. is, you know, um, edited or anything. I just, that's who I want to be. That's what I want my legacy to be and that we can turn being really authentic into a positive thing and being really real uh, and being really kind. And, and that's what I think humanity as well at the end of the day is is about and, and kindness as well and continue to, to, to do what I do and, and leave that legacy behind. That's awesome. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you're you for having me. Yeah, Thank you're amazing you. as well. Um, <laughs> no, you are. I love also, you know, um, when you go through a lot as well and you talk about it and, Thank you. Um, you know, you're open and honest as well. And, um, yeah, I, I, I love that. I've had a great chat and you're so kind and I, I, oh, I love that. You. I love when people are really, really kind and that's what you are. So I appreciate you. you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tell Me More. This show wouldn't be possible without you. If you'd like to show your support, please subscribe or follow the podcast on your favourite platforms and don't forget you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Spotify.